Are you looking to grow revenues, increase profitability, or obtain financing? If so, you came to the right place. Running a business is all about leadership. How do you become a better leader? Learn from the successful entrepreneurs and business owners how to lead your organization more effectively. That's why we created Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business, to help you succeed with your host, Andrew Frazier, Business Growth Pro and CFO and founder of the Small Business Pro University. Every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're joined by experienced entrepreneurs and business owners who share their secrets to success via live stream. Also, every Friday morning, we release a new podcast episode. Either way, you will learn about developing your business leadership skills from our roster of highly performing guest experts. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com. Welcome back to Leadership Live at 805. I'm your host, Andrew Frazier, and looking forward to another great evening talking to you as small business owners, potential small business owners, uh, and organizational leaders about valuable things that can be helpful to make you more successful at what you do. Uh, very excited this evening. I've got special guest, Kenneth Goodwin, and we're going to be talking about the future. You know, we're going to be talking about where things are going in terms of business. There's a lot of things out there that we just really um, need to know about, but we may not. This this one goes really deep, and um, you know, he's the guy to talk to. You know, he has built his business. He's been doing this for years in terms of technology and where technology's going and blockchain. Um, you know, he speaks internationally at conferences and just some great things so I'm excited that he's able to take time to be with us this evening really today we're going to talk about scaling with digitization but we're really going to talk about technology and the landscape of where everything is going as far as business and even beyond business so Ken um, welcome to leadership live at 805 excited to have you here this evening thanks for taking the time out to be with us Andrew, I'm, I'm excited for being here and being on your show. And, and, you know, a lot of my experiences come from uh, following your show, uh, your guests on your show. Um, so I've learned a lot from working with clients and having that open mind. I think that's the key in, in learning about digital transform transformation and digitization, especially nowadays, because everything moves so fast. Mm -hmm. So I, I spend more time listening. <laughs> okay, no, that's what it's all about. And, um, you know, there's a lot going on. You know, as a business owner, you may not see everything in the background, but, you know, we're going to uh, illuminate some things that are going on around you that you might not have noticed, um, but are happening. And, you know, after this, you should notice, but also get some idea of how you should approach it in the future with your business and how this can impact you and how to stay ahead of the curve. That's what it's really all about. Right, Ken? That's absolutely right. And just to add a little caveat, uh, COVID-19, Andrew, has really spurred uh, this digital transformation that you hear frequently. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so it actually made it made the founder. It defined the founders. And certain founders had to pivot. They had to go back and think about the three P's again, people, processes, and products all over again. So it's right, as you mentioned before, back to the fundamentals and how are you able to scale uh, across those three P's, which is very, very critical. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, so before we get started and going into the details, you know, you've done some tremendous things. You know, tell us a little bit about where you're from, you know, your path of, you know, really what you did before blockchain, because I think you were alive before blockchain <laughs> and um, then since blockchain and all the way up to what you're doing now. Fair enough. That's very fair. <laughs> all right. I, so I was, I was more alive before blockchain. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit. You know, I, I started my life in Hoboken, New Jersey, Andrew. So I'm, I'm born and raised in Hoboken. And, you know, I went to undergrad at a, a school called Johnson C. Smith University, a small private college in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was actually, it was my 12th option. Uh, it was my last option. It was the most, it was the one that gave me the most blessings because at that time I didn't know the school. I didn't, never heard of Johnson C. Smith University before. You know, I was a top ranked uh, student in uh, high school uh, in the state of New Jersey. So I had I had the choice of going to like Drew University, Rutgers University, Indiana Universities, you know, all these major colleges. And John C. C. Smith uh, appealed to me because that the president at the time, Dr. Robert Albright, uh, mentioned that he was building this on it on his college program. So he was recruiting some top students, uh, African-American students across the U.S. and around the globe, essentially to be in a specialized courses. And I was identified as one of them. And that worked out well because uh, through Johnson C. Smith, I, I got my chance to, to be an exchange student in Japan. I, I became uh, their first uh, exchange student in Japan. Uh, so I learned Japanese. Uh, at that time I was learning French, right? So I had to switch from one side of the brain <laughs> completely to the other side of the brain. And Japanese humbled me uh, tremendously Andrew, because it was a language that, again, I wasn't accustomed to at all. Uh, it is a humbling language. It's considered to be one of the world's most difficult language because you're constantly thinking about situations and people and, and assuring yourself that you're saying the language or you're saying the words correctly. Because if you do uh, have a slight miss in the content, it could change the entire uh, expression or meaning of the words or meaning of your conversation. So you have to be very, very cautious. It's a thinking language. Uh, I had a great time there, learned the language. I've uh, been very fortunate. I've been on radio there actually twice. That's what most people don't know. <laughs> so I got on radio twice in Japan, uh, speaking about my experiences as an African-American and, and, and so forth. Came back uh, to Johnson C. Smith, finished off the school, uh, did my first career at First Year National Bank, uh, then decided I wanted to go to graduate school and chose Temple University because I knew I wanted to go back to Japan. And Temple was one of the few uh, graduate schools that actually had a school in Japan. And that appealed to me. And so that, again, created another opportunity uh, for me to do my graduate internship at Ito Yakato, which is known as 7-Eleven. But most importantly, that was my first, Andrew, my first experience with 
just-in-time management. So that was my first experience. We're learning about how to use data management and how that's being applied in operation systems from operations to productions, to the distribution center, to the store level, to accounting. So all those things I was learning back in around uh, 2000 and uh, 2000 and well, uh, 1999 actually, 1999 was when I went there. So it was it was intriguing to me because we learned about Denning, Drouse, and Drucker, and, and total quality management. The Japanese were actually doing it, <laughs> and I said, "Holy crap, this really works! They're far more advanced than we are." So I finished off my graduate school, uh, spent some time at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Uh, was a part of a team called the Term Asset Back Liquidity Facility Team that was responsible for, as you know, the market collapse in 2007, 2008 with asset backed securities. I was on that team to kind of help out smooth the marketplace. Uh, prior to that, I actually was a Mike Mansfield Fellow, the first and only Mike Mansfield Fellow of the Federal Reserve System. So I spent some time at the Bank of Japan, the Tokyo Stock Exchange, the Japanese Diet, working on some very high level projects. And these were actually technically driven projects, uh, you know, dealing with the post-reform system. On the trading floor, I was the first foreigner to trade at Japanese government bonds, which is also looking at Japanese, but also writing the reports. So it was a great experience. Uh, left the Fed, went into industry, uh, did some work at RBS, HSBC, Grant Thornton, uh, then created uh, Genensis. And Genensis has been around for about six and a half years. Our first opportunities was in foreign direct investment. So it dealt with working with small and medium-sized firms that had a, a sound revenue base, anywhere between three to five million. Uh, we were gonna help them work with the government service entities like Jetro, like the Hong Kong Trade Development Council and bring them overseas to help them segment marketplaces because those respected countries, they wanted you know more business. They want more business revenue, more business uh, activity. And we were the kind of the facilitators for that. What happened was one of my clients, one of my artificial intelligence clients said, you need to go to this blockchain event. And I went there and I said, what is blockchain? I knew about it from being in Japan. I heard about Bitcoin, but I kind of stayed away from that. And then I finally went to that event and it was like that aha moment. It was like, wow. Okay. You know, it was like that Michael Jackson driller moment. And I said, this kind of technology is going to shape the way the future is going to operate if it's applied correctly. So I focused mainly on the application of the technology. And I was aware of Bitcoin and eventually aware of Ethereum, but I really, really concentrated on the application because to me, that was more intriguing for me. Uh, so I spent a lot of time speaking on speaking engagements around the world, as you mentioned. Uh, I did the first women leaders in blockchain, uh, the first urban leaders in blockchain, and the first global local fintech AI blockchain events. So I curated those events as a way to give back uh, to the community. I saw uh, within the space, that blockchain fintech space, that we didn't have enough diversity and equity inclusion. So I took it upon myself after speaking to several colleagues in terms of how do you give an impact uh, you know, to what's going on in industry now. Currently, we are in the process of raising for uh, a 144 Trailblazer Fund. It will be a, a, a the first security token offering digital venture fund. So it's fully automated using a security token offering to do the raise. Uh, and that's 
quite unique compared to the other funds that are out there. I think there's four out there already, but I don't think there's as automated as this will be. So we're in a process of raising anywhere between 75 to about 100 million for the fund. And that's gonna be eventually on the private side. And then on the public side, there'll be a float of the token. Hopefully that float will have a, a capital marketization of, of anywhere uh, between 600 million to about 1.2 billion. So everything is encoded. Uh, as you probably see uh, with the fund. But we're excited about it, Andrew. Uh, we have about 20 to 24 firms already uh, that we call digitally transformed firms. These are firms that are using artificial intelligence, blockchain, um, AI, uh, which is artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, uh, spec specification management. So they're using all these different types of technology to, to really build up their revenue streams. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity. Uh, I'm learning every day. That's why I said I'm constantly learning. You got to have an open mind in this space. If you don't have an open mind in this space, you will be living in the 2000s, okay. <laughs> early 2000s, or even in the 1990s. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're literally working on and building the future, which, which is exciting. Um, and, you know, I, I, I didn't really fully you know, have an understanding of your background, but that's great that, you know, you spent time in Japan. You know, I, I didn't realize that you caused the 2007 crisis with the asset bank <laughs> securities. I, I thought it was somebody else. I thought it was leaving. <laughs> well, well, we were we were there to, to help to uh, close that gap. And okay. I'm glad that we were not as uh, transparent because if we were, um, I'm not sure if we even had a system you know, those numbers, those leverage ratios were not that good uh, yeah. during that time. You're looking at anywhere between 30 to 40 or 50 percent leverage ratio. So, you know, that's that's a that's a tea beer conversation, Andrew. Right, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take that back somewhere else. Uh, but today we're going to focus on the future. Uh, we're going to focus on how to scale your business with digitization. Uh, Ken's going to share some valuable information about that, but we're going to cover an awful lot today, but just to really tee things off and get us thinking in the right way, just want to walk through, you know, one of the key things um, that we're going to be talking about and where we're going and where things have come. And really, it's to talk about digitization, uh, digitalization, and digital transformation. So um, Ken's going to talk more about these, but you know, the past is the digital di digitization, really turning things that we have already into digital copies. The present, you know, really using digital to um, change th how things are done now. And then the future, um, the transformation. And Ken's doing a lot of that. That's what his fun's about. And... Um, you know, that was a very basic explanation, but we're going to have Ken. Um, you want to start from there and then yeah. we'll, we'll move forward into into some other topics and talk more about how the transformation works. I, I like that scream. I actually want to see it again, Andrew, because that it starts off with digitization, right? Which is basically when I look at the screen, I think of the phone and how we had the analog and and voice over IP that was key back then. And that was around, I think the seventies and eighties, uh, a period of time. But with the audience, 
Here's the biggest lesson that I learned about uh, digitization, uh, both past, present, and future. It all based on data. Data, data, uh, some people say data, I say data. <laughs> but data, data is gold. Uh, that is the most important uh, element of all of this. Without the proper data, without the reception of that data, the analysis of that data, the use of that data, none of this will ever occur. So it's all about data. Uh, and you'll find that in any technology, any advancement from artificial intelligence to machine learning, deep learning, third wave AI, to natural language processing, uh, to blockchain, a distributed ledger technology, uh, from specification management, from logistics intelligence, it all starts with data. That is the key. And so what Andrew had put up recently, that pass, again, it was still data, but it was data that was being used voice over IP. And, and that was one of the ways that data was being used or transformed. And now in the present state, which is very unique, present state tends to be a lot with applications. So what you're finding is that data is being transformed over many applications and algorithms. And, and now in the future state, and I say, and then, let me get back to the present state just for a moment with digitalization. Digitalization, uh, it's, it's it, what has spurred that has really been the point of a bit of COVID-19, pre-COVID-19 and then post-COVID-19. Uh, Pre-COVID-19, we were moving, we we're gradually moving into digital transformation. Uh, COVID-19 spurred it up faster. And partly it's because of some of the challenges and gaps that we saw in supply chain and our medical uh, supply chain system, our healthcare system, our education system. So there were some gaps in a lot of areas. We saw that in PPP uh, and PPE, all the things that we wanted to receive from the government, we saw all these gaps. Again, what it did do, it allowed us to go back into our ecosystems again. And those ecosystems starts off with the three Ps that I mentioned previously, people, processes, and product. And that's how you would build your actual uh, infrastructure. With people, you're going to use kind of a behavior approach uh, or behavior design, which you can build around that in terms of how do you build your data systems around people. The processes is, is process design or operational design. So you would be able to uh, look at different types of applications that's happening in your organization and being able to close that gap. And that's very important because sometimes we have all these different applications running at once. They may not be what they call interoperable. They may not be communicating with each other. Uh, and that could be a big problem in itself. And then the product side, product design, is what you're kind of seeing in the future. How can we take that process and create new products? And those products usually require an enhancement of that technology, that use of data. And that's uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. I like to go scale up a bit and use what they call third wave AI, which requires that, that each and every individual, each and every subject matter becomes a, a, a centralized database. So essentially what it does, it acts like a brain. It's very cognitive. It constantly probes you and asks you questions. But the key difference is that it stores that data. It stores it. So it creates a history 
and then use predictive modeling to create the next scene. And so you'll find that a lot that's being done with logistics intelligence uh, and, and, you're, and it's being applied now. It's being applied in asset management and wealth management. Uh, when you make calls, let's say if you make a call to one of these uh, like Fidelity, uh, you don't find an individual anymore. What you have is you have somebody that hears your voice and they're constantly asking you questions. And if you had an account already, they have your history. So they kind of have an idea of your profile. And that kind of AI is really where we're going towards now in the future. So the key there is data. Data is very, very important. It's gold. The most important thing about data is that, you know, the big question that we have around the globe is who, who owns that data, who owns that intellectual property. Uh, that's going to be the big challenge nowadays. But if you're able to understand that as the basic fundamentals, then you're going to understand what's happening in this digital transformation. You know, so firms, small businesses have to sit back and say to themselves, how can we capture data from our operations, from our people, which could be the employees, uh, and that also could be your clients, right? And also from the product side, right? What are we gaining back when we sell a good or services? What kind of information data that we're receiving that's going to help us to kind of shape how are we going to build up our operations for the present to the future? No, that's great. You know, covered the past, the present, and the future. And really, that's, you know, where a lot of things are going. So now, one of the things that, you know, you mentioned, you know, the data frontier and who owns it's going to be important, especially a lot of your personal data. And um, I've heard it said that, um, you know, if you're getting something for free, you know, then you're the product. They're selling you <laughs> as opposed to if you're paying for something, you're buying the product. <laughs> so how, how does that relate to what you're saying? Here's, here's, the, golden, here's the, the golden rule that I've learned, actually. Uh, I, I moderated an event at Chang Kong Graduate School of Business many years ago, Andrew. And the Chang Kong Graduate School of Business uh, is financially supported by Jack Ma. Uh, they're in, in Hong Kong, but they also have a huge uh, office of campuses here in New York. So I, I was fortunate to moderate a gentleman by the name of Fang Han. And, and Professor Fang Han uh, wrote the book on data is gold. So when I first met this gentleman, uh, he was well known uh, for giving $10 million to Columbia Business School, um, specifically for Columbia Blockchain Association. So that was a, a nice gift that he gave to the school. Uh, his book is well recognized. And the first thing he said to me, he said, data is gold and you own your data. Uh, you know, it's all about you. So the government wants to know about you. Businesses want to know about you. And you take it from that perspective. And to me, that's where I learned. I said, wow, this is really a fight over who owns our information about ourselves. So, and I'll give you another example. In the blockchain space, you, you commonly hear people say, well, we're going to bank the unbank, right? So we're going to bank the unbank. And, and that's that's the rah-rah call for everybody to try to get into the space to do social good. I think people's intent is to do social good. But when they say they want to do bank the unbank, they fail to realize that it was never about banking the unbank. It was all about information. 
So to give you an example, in order for you to open up a bank account, you have to have the proper data. You have to have the proper ID. You have to have ID that's verified. And that ID could be your birth certificate, your social security card. But it, it's something that identifies you, your information. And if you take that, that basics and you roll across any vertical, uh, you, you find that that is the most difficult challenge in, in lending. That's the most difficult challenge in deposits. That's the most difficult challenge in business. More businesses have to be able to capture what their clients are doing, who their clients are, right? You got to be able to tell your story and capture that. You got to be able to capture your distributors. You got to be able to capture third-party vendors. So it still rolls back into going back and capturing that data. That's really, really important. Uh, the minute you do that, uh, then you're able to, you know, you're able to build up your procedures and your processes and so forth. But I, I take it back that data is gold. Uh, the argument is, uh, to answer your question there, Andrew, who owns it? Uh, you know, the Europeans, I think GDPR states that it defaults back to you. And you have to, your responsibility is that you track your information and you give the green light as to whether or not who uses that information. I think California is kind of following that rule itself. Uh, I got a sense that it's going to default back to people. There's going to be two challenges here. You got, you're going to have the government that's going to want more information from you. But then at the same time, people are going to say, well, this is our information. We have technology. Uh, therefore, we're able to control our own information. So it's, it's a hard call there, quite honestly. But I think it's a very legitimate conversation to be having. Excellent. So, yeah, no, definitely, you know, that's that's an important piece. So now, you know, what we're talking about is the future and this is changing the future for many people. And I know you had a pyramid graph that if you want me to put up, if you could explain that, I think that gives some perspective on really what this technology is doing. Yes, yes. Uh, that is this. This is a very important graph here. Uh, in terms of the, the process of how data is being transformed to products. So you have the beginning of this is, is data proliferation, which is really the subset in terms of trying to abstracting that information. So that is the crooks in terms of getting information from your sources. You First, you have to find the sources to get that information. Then you have to verify. So you got to identify you have to verify, you have to measure, monitor, and report. And that's all a part of that data proliferation. If that information is not done correctly in particular buckets or subsets, then you have a skew that could be done. Uh, there's a skewing mechanism, meaning that there's, there may be some issues going forward. The platformization of that is the whole process of taking that data and making applications or dApps out of that. So how do we take that information and we, we ease the process? So I'll give you a prime example. When I was at Ito Yakato 7-Eleven, essentially what they did is they recognized, let's say, Andrew, you go into a store at a 7-Eleven Japan, it's going to collect as you go to that register and you buy your products, you bring it up to the register, they're going to actually collect information about you. You may not know it. Uh, they're going to collect information two ways, through the actual product itself when they skew it, and also by looking at you. 
you know, so they're going to, you know, look at you and say, ah, Andrews, you know, he's about, uh, I'm not going to say your age, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's a male. He came in at a certain time, so forth. They're going to tie that product to you. And here's why that's important, because it helps them in the inventory management and in the supply chain. And so what they started to do was taking that data and they, if you can bring that back again, Andrew, just for a moment, that screen, uh, they platformization, a platform, a platform, platformization it by using that in their kiosk, but also in how they actually go about uh, ordering new goods and services. So when you went into the store, you know that Andrew purchased that item on Monday. He purchased it at, let's say, five o'clock. Maybe three other people purchased the similar items in three other different days. You can see that in a chart. And that would help you to order goods or services or, or that product, depending on the, 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 the day, depending on the weather and so forth. So that was the whole platformization of the process. Uh, nowadays, you're finding that people are using applications and dApps as the way of doing that. That's one of the ways that's being done. And the final portion of that, Andrew, if you can throw that on again, <laughs> is that substitution products. Uh, so check, tech changes us. Right, but the, the products is really, really the key there. So we go from that platformization to the product side of it. And that product side could be in, let's say, in the case of artificial intelligence, it could be uh, logistics intelligence, uh, which is what you're finding now that's being done in marketing. So the ability to go and shop, let's say we shop somewhere in Times Square, uh, one of the big stores may be able to track where you shopped at before. So what they're doing now is in order to prepare you, they may start to, to target market you with new products because now they have your patents, or buying patents and so forth. So it's, it's shaping the way that we live our lives. Uh, there's a client of mine that I'm working with called Aigo, and Aigo is based off this model. It's, it's completely based on how you live your life at home. So it ties Everything you do from drinking coffee to turning on a TV to driving your car, all behind asking questions and all behind this model. And the product is that at the end of the day that you have a personal assistance, which is an algorithm. That's an AI algorithm that's going to help you to schedule your calendar. That's going to help you to live your life. And and it's kind of. I like the old Jetsons. If you think about the Jetsons, <laughs> we're moving towards the Jetsons. That's probably the best way to describe this. Uh, and that's the last piece of that in terms of the products. Okay, no, that's, that's, that's huge. And, you know, just to understand the scale, because I think, you know, you say, oh, they know about you. You're like, okay, they know about me, whatever. But <laughs> they've got millions and billions of data points because of the way techno you know, the speed of technology. So they're not just taking a few people, they're taking it across so many different people. So they can really predict things in a way that you could never predict before. And that's where it becomes the valuable, you know, the, the data becomes extremely valuable, correct? It, it, it exactly, Andrew. But it also it it also creates a problem too. Uh, I know in human resources, there's the challenges with discrimination. Sometimes we rely too much on the models, and the models are are in, inherently discriminatory because uh, it depends on the parameters. 
uh, that's provided. So the models are only good as the actual engineers. Um, and that's been a problem uh, in this space. I think there's some improvement that's going to be done. It has been done. Uh, but as you hit on a nail, uh, you can kind of bucket a group of people and classify them in one particular category. And that's not necessarily who they are. Uh, it's not necessarily their buying patterns and, and their livelihoods. Uh, and that, that's an issue. Now, artificial intelligence, third wave AI actually solves that to a certain degree. Third wave AI probes. So basically what it does, it says, well, Andrew, you are a data source. It doesn't care whether you are green, black, orange, or red. It cares more about your data. You are the wheel and everything around you is a spoke. And the goal of that is to attract you as the wheel, but also to start asking questions about your spokes. So it starts to get into your livelihood, your ecosystems, your connections. So if, you know, it looks into your phone and, and those are the things that it's doing. It's really figuring you out and it's probing you questions. You know, what book did you read? What's your favorite book? When did you read it? And so the ultimate goal is that it's, it's sucking your information out of you and it's creating this, this is using predictive modeling, but it's creating a new environment as to how you should live. So now it becomes from, it, it starts to become not just cognitive, but it also gives you feedback. And that can be a problem in itself because it's ethical issues, because there's a point where that data or where that cognitive uh, brain uh, becomes very aggressive, very aggressive. And so there's gotta be a way uh, where individuals are trying to slow it down. Now that's, that's an actual real case. Um, I believe uh, Facebook had some issues with this before. They had to reach out to Singularity uh, because their algorithm uh, started to create its own application and started to train the engineer. That's how much information that was taken in and it was just recreating its own environment. And so these things happen. Uh, we don't hear it a lot. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare the audience, but it happens. It happens a lot more frequently uh, than a lot of companies let know, because if the companies were to let these things know, then I, I'm most certain that people would be less inclined uh, to buy their products. You know, so, I mean, that sounds a little bit like Terminator. Games, <laughs> where they became self-aware. Uh, so, you know, definitely... <laughs> we want to we want to be careful of that but um you know one thing that you talked about really brings me back to something i do with a lot of my clients and it's really the first level is creating key kpis or key performance indicators and really using data within your business to run it better and you know this just takes it to the next level of having more and more and more data to do that and not and also have the data analyze the data so that it can make decisions based on the data. Um, but, you know, having information and knowledge and understanding about how your business works is key. So even starting, you know, you may not have data on everything, but you need to start collecting data within your business and you got to figure out what the key data is so that you can use it. And technology can enable that a lot. I mean, I think that's what, you know, a lot of the businesses are doing. That's where, where things are going. Um, you know, as a small business, you know, you can't afford to have so much, but 
you know, what are some of the things that you can do as a small business uh, to take advantage of, of data and get access to more and more data? Well, you hit it right on the nose, Andrew. I mean, the fact that you are working with your clients and creating KPIs, I mean, it flows right back to that chart. That chart actually speaks exactly what you said. Uh, you know, you started off by getting matrix and getting information from the client base uh, and not just the client uh, in itself, but from all uh, partners, all constituencies, you know, so, so from all the stakeholders. And when we say stakeholders, and Andrew, I'm sure you, you say this frequently to your clients, it's, it's the customers, it's the third party vendors, it's the distributors, it's the wholesalers, it's your employees, government agencies, if you're doing business with governments. So everybody, you know, you have to find a way to extract information from everyone. Uh, and then that platformatization is the actual changing that data, right, to an application or DAP. So let's say, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. One of my clients, uh, it's called GeoCloud. I'm going to give a shout out to them. Uh, they actually use uh, logistics intelligence to help firms with marketing. So they take a lot of information, buying patterns. And so what they've done is not only are they tracking what people are buying, they also have an app. So the app actually allows for you and I to go in and we literally see our buying patterns in the, in the past. Now it's helping us in two ways. It's helping us from a budget standpoint, but it is also helping those retailers in terms of new products and services. So that app, is very, very critical because what it does now is creating new products. So your products are being created because of the fact that you have the application or the DAP, and now you have better products that are more timeliness, that's more efficient and so forth. So when we say scale for small businesses, you're absolutely right. It's, it's first ascertain, uh, identify, measure, monitor, report, Get those KPIs in place, meaningful information. You don't want to get overloaded with too much information. That's the last thing you want to do. You want to, you want to get rid of the noise, focus on what is your core business, what's your mission, your purpose, your value. Stick to that. And when you stick to that, then you can match that with the data. And then now you're moving on and you're hiring maybe an engineer to say, look, we have all this information from our client base. Maybe we can come up with an app that can actually help us to have a better relationship and that can actually allow us to sell other services to our clients. And that's the scaling portion of that, because when you actually when you provide that service, you're creating enterprise value for your business. So now so instead of your business worth, let's say you have revenues of 300 K. Now you can get revenue of 500 K. And I being a venture capitalist, I love that because I look at that anytime I see data and digitization, I usually 5X or 10X that. So we're, we're going from a 300K to anywhere between, you know, a the 1.5, you know, K to maybe a 3 million K, just because you actually went on and you digitize your platform. Because now you're looking at the future revenues that you can have, because now you actually have another work stream. And I, I think you hit it right on the nose, Andrew. I think you nailed it with, with your client base. Uh, there is room to learn. That's the yeah. great thing about this. There's so much room to learn. Uh, I'm still learning. I'm still learning like everyone else. So we're all started from that whole 
data proof that that beginning we're trying to extract data but we're still learning how to make it all better and yeah i mean you you great that you studied under deming and those guys over there um, <laughs> they, got award. Like, they got the edward deming award in japan <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I was actually studying engineering here so i was learning about them but they were doing it over there and uh, but yeah i mean it's about continually improving everything you do and you can't improve anything if you don't measure it I, so that's where the data comes in because you need data to be able to measure it and you know once you have the data you know like you said the data allows you to develop your platforms and once you have your platforms that gives you the information to to substitute you know additional products and services that may be needed um but you know on the flip side if you're not moving forward in this way other people are mm. so what does that mean uh, means that you you could be left out <laughs> so, i'm going to be honest with you i mean it, right. it's moving too fast it is moving too fast uh the last thing you want to do is be obsolete in and and in, in post covid covid has really spurred on you know you hear the word digital transformation uh that was the differences between businesses businesses pivoted towards using uh, data as a way to provide additional services to their clients. And those businesses that have done well, that have done that actually done very, very well. And I'll give you a prime example. I have a client uh, that's called Nobi. Uh, Nobi means uh, grow knowledge into being. And she started off mainly uh, as a digital library. So she was just collecting information from different books and she was digitizing that. And then she realized, she said, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, the schools are shut down and there's a need for kids to receive this via the app because she was asking questions. It goes right back to what you were saying, Andrew. She got the KBIs from a school system basically saying that we need these subject matters or these subjects to be on the application because we want our students to continue to learn because they are, are at home. But most importantly, what she did that was very unique, she gamified that. So when we say gamified, meaning that she was able to track and trace when those students were actually studying and they would get kind of awards and things of that nature. So it encouraged them to read and so forth. But that became an, another work stream for her. That became another access to that, that liquidity, to that revenue that she needed to grow her business. And it's because she did that, she's able to now go into other areas and, and use that platform. And so she's doing quite well. If, if she had not done that, uh, she probably would have not have made as much money. Uh, I'm not sure she'd have been operating or operable, uh, but the fact that she pivoted herself in that direction, she realized that it was opportunities in other verticals. So now she's doing wealth management, she's doing training development, so, so it opened up a whole new door. And I think that's where we have to be very aware here uh, with our clients, especially in the US. Uh, Asia got it. I mean, I, I've lived in Japan and, and done a lot of work in Hong Kong and Korea and China. They really picked it up really, really fast. And they, they, they use that for their supply chain. So they've already digitized their supply chain, the education system, the medical system. Uh, that transportation system, uh, that's a prime, another prime example. If you ride the subway to New York, 
You don't necessarily have to use a ticket. You can use an app that actually stores your information. It's important for government to know this because government can use that data, not just to see your buying patterns, but also see that the patterns of the actual writers because it allows for government to make a decision as to how much police officers that we need to have, depending on how many people are riding the subways. So all, all is what they call smart cities. So all these things uh, come together, but we don't get to that point, Andrew, unless we take that initial step. So, so it all starts with gathering. So now, you know, we've covered a lot of stuff and there's so much more that we can cover, but um, we just started. We, I know we we just started, but you know, like like I said every time, you know, an hour goes really fast when you talk about something interesting, and um, and especially in business. So you've broken down quite a few things for us, Ken. But um, why don't you just wrap it up in a few key things that you know me and everybody else on here as a business owner. What should we be doing tomorrow to uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are out there for us, as well as protect us from some of the challenges that may be resulting from this? Yes, I, I like the protection, uh, protection of the challenges. Uh, I, I would say uh, just know that data is gold. Uh, don't be intimidated by it. Uh, know that uh, if used correctly, uh, it can actually be a great resource that can allow for you to get that financial energy, which is really that money, that revenue. Uh, so I would I would start off by that. Uh, most importantly, you have a lot of resources out there. Andrew, what you're doing is great. I mean, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll do another event. I, I think we will. Uh, hopefully we'll do a little bit more on blockchain. That'd be great. Uh, so there's a lot of resources out here, uh, both as small business administrations, uh, the Minority Business Development Centers, uh, Andrew, your platform is excellent when it comes down to training and development individuals. Uh, so learn about, you know, getting data in terms of be, be a data scientist, you know, be able to identify, measure, monitor, report information. Then the other step is, is reaching out to people. Uh, I actually, I spend a lot of time with young people. Uh, the young people get it. They know how to code. My son codes. <laughs> uh, so this is a generation that they know how to build apps and apps and so forth. Uh, so they understand the different types of coding languages that are out there. Now, if you want to, you, you can learn yourself the basic coding languages. Uh, you know, do it. I mean, it's, it's not difficult. It's fun. Uh, you know, learn about blockchain. I think blockchain is very significant in the future. Uh, blockchain will probably be used more uh, than even AI to a certain degree. So you, you're starting to hear a lot about Bitcoin, but also notice blockchain to the actual application and the distributed ledger technology. But once you got that data and you have that that data scientist or that digital engineer, then you're able to target and create new products. You know, build yourself a roadmap for this. Uh, how you like to have your firm to look like in the future. The future is moving very fast. Uh, technology moves faster than we do, quite frankly. You know, I spend a lot of my time uh, speaking to clients overseas and I'm hearing constantly new things. I'm sitting there and say, wow, <laughs> okay. You know, it's hard for me to keep up. So, but the great thing about it is that it could be quite overwhelming, but you're not the only one that's in that case. Don't be fooled. A lot of people, I would say good 99.9% .9 is in the same case. Just pick it out for yourself 
and what's, what's, what, what works best for your business model. At the end of the day, go back to your mission, value, and, and purpose and your business model and try to take all that information to make new products and revenues. And then reach out to Andrew <laughs> for good advice. <laughs> all right. So, no, thank you. I'll slip you a hundred later on. But, uh, you know, definitely, you know, it's all about running your business more professionally. And, you know, that's what, you know, what I work with people on, that's what people should be working on is how can we continue to make our business better and run it more effectively. And you can't do that without data because you can't improve anything without information. Um, so once again, thank you, Ken, for joining us tonight. Um, it's always a pleasure. I always learn something new and, um, you know, we'll definitely be continuing this conversation going forward. Thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, excellent. So, yeah, so definitely we'll be talking soon. Uh, I know you got something coming up real shortly, so we're going to let you get on to your next, um, you know, responsibility. Um, you know, being global, you got to be on 24 <laughs> 7. So, um, yes. You know, so, you know, definitely understandable. But thanks again. Um, always, you know, great to have, you know, guests who can share valuable things for for the audience and um you know definitely once again thank everybody for for joining us this evening and as always we always say that the more you know the faster you grow thank you thank you for listening to leadership live at 805 talking small business subscribe to our youtube channel and to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com.